Welcome to the Afterglow Video Game Podcast, hosted by the all-knowing professor. Hello! And yours truly, the TA, where we look past the gameplay and the glory. And dive into the story. Hey, listen! Welcome back again, everybody, to the first official episode of the Afterglow Video Game Podcast. Mmm, it's a coronation! Oh my gosh! It's so exciting. Our sophomore episode, but our first true true like dive into the nitty gritties and i am so freaking excited to talk about this dude like uh, you and i have been talking about this off and on now for mm-hmm. two plus weeks and i'm just chomping at the bit to talk about this and the thing that we are talking about is the game that just dropped i believe two weeks ago um on the 17th um, was it 17th yeah. 17th yes sir All right and if you don't know what that is by now, we are talking about Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima, which fun, funny story. I did not know it was pronounced Tsushima until you mentioned it to me. What was it like a week or so ago? Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, because I've been saying be Tsushima. <laughs> same, same. I mean, I'm be honest too. Um, we're a little bit on the ignorant we're side about that. Maybe, maybe we should have listened to the you know maybe the dev talks. That, maybe that you know i don't know but either way i figured it out all, yeah i figured it out when i talked to you and then playing the game and everyone's calling it tsushima and i was like oh yeah I'm, especially I'm the, first time they say, <laughs> the first time they say the word tsushima i was like um oh <laughs> we got that like, one wrong well i learned something today the more you know um, but that's okay we're here now yeah. And all right. like, let's be realistic. We weren't even really calling it Ghost of Tsushima most of the time. I mean, how many different names did we have for it? I, mm. We should have kept a running tally, but I want to say it was at least 50. Oh, 50? I was going to say I 10, so. but you're, you're, no. I'm, I'm conservative <laughs> and you're liberal. Day. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is how we figured that one out. So for those that don't know, um, Claire's referring to the text we would send back and forth hyping each other up for Ghost of Tsushima where we would just call it like Ghost of Super Nintendo, Ghost of Sukiyaki. What are some other good ones? Toast of Apocalypto was one of my favorites. <laughs> Ghost of Suezima was mine. <laughs> that was, yeah. Ghost of Sashimi, I think, was our most popular one. We actually had a blooper in the last episode where I was trying to say Ghost of Tsushima and I said Ghost of Sashimi and we both laughed our asses off and I'm kind of sad we cut it. I feel like we should have just kept exposing it. Exposing us, that was, Professor. You're exposing us. Yes, that we are not uh, We are not infallible. Uh, we are, in fact, mortal, sadly. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that might have been my favorite. And then I actually I shared that with a few of my students, and now they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess on, God, what is it, uh, Tumblr, people do the same thing with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. They call him like Crompy yep. Path crompy pants like blunderbutt and everybody knows what you're talking about and so then in that chat with these former students we were calling it like toast of apocalypto or roast of shorts and everybody knew what you were talking about so for anyone who's wondering the evolution of the benedict cumberbatch joke on tumblr has evolved into this academic space so you're welcome universe here we are <laughs> all right let's just get right into the to the mix let's of get things. into it let's talk about ghost of shawshank redemption but yeah what a crazy opening week for ghost of tsushima right professor insane selling you over know? i think 2.4 million copies within within its first three days of release. That's just nuts. Apparently, that's some that's some type of crazy. That's some type of new record set by a new IP for a Sony exclusive. Just insane. No shit. Yeah, just insane. Awesome though. Well done to Sucker Punch, right? Well done. Yeah, I, I you you got to tip your caps to them. Obviously, we'll get into it, but the experience in that game alone, you will you will understand why they sold 2.4 million copies mm-hmm. plus very easily i'm sure that they're far above that number now and if not they should be yeah so game of the year contender what do you think that's gonna be tough i want to say yes but you still got last of us two Mm -hmm. and strong contender uh, as well strong i think i think those are your two biggest your two big heavy hitters for 2020 thus far i mean i don't know final fantasy sevens in that mix as well potentially i would think that's that's been another major 
release and then you have in theory cyberpunk coming in november so i mean there's there's going to be some stiff competition that's for sure yeah i still have my money on last of us 2 winning game of the year even though I do hotly too. debated I do too. lots of hot takes I do too. but i i still think it might win yeah i do too um i would not be surprised if ghost won mm. but i don't think it's i don't think it's likely overall on ghost of tsushima what did you think you know i consider myself uh, a connoisseur of open world games mm. i'm very i'm very very picky when it comes to open world i don't like just the the traditional dribble and a side quest feels like it's just taking me here or there and it doesn't serve the purpose of the game like i i will nitpick everything about an open world game if it's done poorly and there are plenty that are done poorly no man's guy i yep <laughs> If you're just gonna bring that can of worms back into it, bro, it's gonna happen I don't know every episode, lady. Every episode, we're gonna talk about it. I suppose we will get into it. But my my overall feeling was I I I loved it, and I think the core of that really comes down to it's really fucking fun to pretend to be a samurai. Yeah, no, completely agree. Like straight up, it was just fun to be a samurai and run around in this absolutely gorgeous beautifully real realized world it was exceptional i really enjoyed this game uh it was just so fun the music was amazing the oh. the setting the plot i think it was in i don't even know what period maybe the edo period i mean personally i would have assumed it was in the corona period gotta hate you anyway i suppose we should move on <laughs> <laughs> Although we don't really focus on the gameplay and the mechanics per se in when it comes to discussing literary merit in a video game, I do think we should spend a few moments discussing how essential and crucial certain parts of the gameplay and mechanics were to the storytelling of Ghost of Tsushima. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. The way I saw the gameplay was very, in terms of combat, it was very similar to how Red Dead or Red Dead Redemption, that whole Red Dead series by Rockstar, Assassin's Creed. Again, we just mm -hmm. said it was open world. You have all these combos to do, all these all these different types of moves you can do with your yeah. sword or just weapons in general. And also yeah. very similar and reminiscent of Witcher, where you have to select different spells on the fly and change things on the fly to adapt to the current environment or to the current enemy yeah. that you're facing. That was that was very that was a very Witcher mechanic to me and it, it sort of leads into the next point which was about uh stance combat which i gotta tell you i i loved that i loved being able to switch between i believe it was there was stone stance moon stance wind stance and water stance mm -hmm. and I think you got them all yeah um gotta catch them all the so the stone stance you would use against swordsmen, uh, water stance I believe that was uh, used against uh, shieldmen. Yeah. Uh, moon stance was against brutes, and then uh, wind stance was against spearmen. And I at first I was a little nervous about that because I'm not a hugely strategic gamer, mm -hmm. and I actually didn't feel like it was. It didn't feel jarring. It didn't feel uh, like. Like, oh shit, I need to figure out how to change. It, it became very muscle memory. I just knew which one I had to press if I wanted to change my stance. Right. You could and still use very... the other stance, other stances right. to fight, even right. though it's not considered recommended. Yeah. So I thought that that was, that was uh, incorporated quite well. Yeah, it just reminds you that Sucker Punch did a really good job trying to stay factually accurate when it comes yeah. to the samurai combat. Yeah. I'm, sh I'm not 100% sure if these... I'm sure, actually, you know what? I'm sure these are all different types of stances or f what maybe forms of, of us, you know, sword fighting for samurais. And I, I can't tell you 100% if the moon stance or the wind stance was meant for fighting people with spears. Uh, but it's just a really cool way to stay factually accurate or just, you know, immerse, causing the player to immerse themselves in the, you know, in the environment. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it, it leads into really interesting point for how sucker punch develops the game which is that they they really went above and beyond reaching out to or hiring consultants and historians and specialists in 
in Japanese culture and history at the time, because the game takes place during um, the Mongol invasion of Japan in in the late thirteenth twelve seventy late thirteenth century. I believe that was the year twelve seventy four. Yes, the late thirteenth century, and according to what the director said they spared no expense and no effort in making sure that they were as accurate as possible. They even had consultants on site to tell them how to properly hold a sake glass during that time or a sake cup. You know, if they were holding it wrong in, in one of the mocap scenes, they would, they would stop them and tell them like, no, you, they wouldn't hold it like that. They'd hold it mm. like this. So every little detail was, was very much uh, looked into, investigated and which I think is, is so it, it, it it's so obvious to me nothing seems out of place in that game and nothing that anyone does or any actions or even any, any of the smallest movements feel out of place. So I just want to give um, a huge kudos to sucker punch because it, because it shows. And I believe a lot of uh, Japanese reviewers and, and gamers in general have given their praise for the game as well, just for being so uh, adherent to the, to the history. Yeah. Even the style of the game or just the graphics and then, certain cutscenes. It's very Japanese-esque, very anime-esque culture too. Right. Really cool. I just felt like I was living a dream of being of playing an anime video game, but you know, extremely graphic and I'm the one controlling the the, the anime. Exactly. Instead. It's great. I I I I thought that that was super well done. We also had the uh privilege of playing with standoffs. Ah. And let me tell you a little something about standoffs. I hate them, and I also love them, but I mostly hate them. I love the standoffs. For a little bit of context, there's a mechanic in the game that allows you to approach a group of enemies, just waltz up to them and say, like, come and face me, or whatever it is, and and do a sword standoff where your sword is sheathed, and you have to release your sword at just the right moment, right before they attack, and you'll get an insta-kill. And you can chain those, I believe, up to three times... If without you just upgrades. get the, the yeah, without the standard upgrades. And if you're wearing certain armor, I think you can get up to five, if I recall correctly. So if you nail that timing, then you're gonna get five insta kills and it's great. If you're a split second too early or too late, it like drops you down to like two to like a third of your health and you're fucked, basically. Something I very important I learned through playing this game is I have the world's shittiest timing. I'm pretty much anyone will tell you that my coordination sucks as it is. And that's been problematic and probably the main reason I don't play souls games, but my God, I learned I'm bad at timing. I sucked at standoffs. I sucked at the bamboo uh, slicing, <laughs> but when I did nail those standoffs, it was the most satisfying thing. I don't know if you felt the same way. No, absolutely. It was very, very satisfying just to insta kill five dudes and you know those five dudes if you fought them straight up by running into them without doing the standoff it's going to be a long maybe one minute two minute battle <laughs> at most and you could possibly die oh yeah there it was it was very easy to uh, to die in that game from just one little mistake but going back to the whole standoffs i think one thing that sucker punch tried to make you do is become the samurai you need to be patient right teaches you patience and controlling your emotions which is a big theme in ghost of tsushima you're right i think that's the most tsushima god damn it (laughs) (laughs) i i mean i'll personally i'll forgive you okay i think we've talked about the gameplay and the mechanics enough especially that we were not going to do that at least not excessively. Mm. I know. Sorry to disappoint, but I'm the professor and you're the TA. So oh. what I say goes. True. I don't get paid enough. I mean, to be fair, neither do I. So let's shift into the story. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Ghost of Tsushima tells the story of late 13th century samurai warrior Jin Sakai as he fights to reclaim his home from the forces of the Mongols. The story begins with the Mongol invasion of the island of Tsushima in the cover of darkness, and Jin follows his uncle and father figure, the noble lord Shimura, and 80 samurai into the jaws of death. The Mongols are led by the fearsome yet pragmatic Khotun Khan, grandson of Genghis Khan and cousin of Kublai Khan, who wishes to forge his own legacy in the family empire. 
Following the death of nearly all the samurai on the island and the capture of his uncle, Jin must rise from the ashes to fight back with help from his allies, both noble warriors and cutthroat thieves and sellswords. But the honorable tactics and code of the samurai won't lead to a possible victory over the Mongols, and Jin must move beyond samurai traditions to forge a new way of fighting, the way of the ghost, as he wages an unconventional war for the freedom of Japan. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Mostly positive. Yeah, I, I mean, I found it to be pretty positive too. It's it's pretty easy, straightforward. It's not complex. It doesn't require multiple mm -hmm. playthroughs, though. It's absolutely replayable if you if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, save your home. It's it's a really engaging it's a really engaging story. Yeah, it's a little bit of a friends become enemies, enemies become friends. You know what I'm saying? A little death, little drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I know what you're saying. A little death, little drama definitely a little call to action it's it's a very traditional um story arc there's a very clear uh hero and villain call to action central conflict the story is not is certainly not unique in that way but but the characters and the world and the levels themselves and this this conflict that that Jin is is struggling with throughout the course of the game as he sort of goes from from the noble samurai and you know morphs into the ghost and what that transition is like for him and what he's willing to sacrifice in order to save his save his people, save his save his island, and ultimately save Japan. Exactly. Ultimately saving the shogunate. Interesting, interesting timeline of events because A, it did really happen. Though B, Ghost of Tsushima is a fictional, completely fictional story, fictional characters, but just very uh, historically factual. Absolutely. On the timeline of events that occurred in Japan. Yes. And actually, what I what I will comment on it also that I really liked is they they really kept the game grounded in that sense because there's there's so much talk, especially as as Jin is evolving into the ghost, and people are saying like, oh, I I you're the ghost. They say that you're ten feet tall and your your eyes light up with mm. fire or stuff like that. There's no mystical, unrealistic shit in there. You're never fighting a dragon or anything like that. It's very grounded. But the way they present this lore and these the the mythic beliefs of the people is honored really, I think, in that way by by keeping it grounded, but also like honoring all like all of the symbolism and you know even fox mm. shrines and and the like. It's the 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 culture and history and religion and the the myths of the time are are very much yeah. respected without sort of venturing into this surrealist yeah. uh territory if that yeah, makes sense and, and going back to the whole honoring thing or just honoring mm -hmm. japan's culture in general the game does a really cool feature or has a really cool feature that allows you to play the game in one of their most hailed and uh famed uh, movie directors of all time uh which is kurosawa where he made video uh video yes. game, where he made films such as uh seven samurai Yojimbo. Yeah, I've seen I've seen most of Yojimbo, but I haven't seen Seventh Samurai. But overall, a Kurosawa film is historically black and white. Yeah, I actually didn't know about the the historical relevancy of of Kurosawa films until uh, until this game. I had heard of of Seven Samurai and and uh, others of those movies, and I knew that it was the that it was a genre sort of akin to like the spaghetti westerns in the U.S. And learned, you know, through this that a lot of those spaghetti Western films were inspired by uh, Kurosawa's samurai films. Mm. I think with Seven Samurai, it, it uh, spawned Magnificent Seven, for example. Yeah, um, I did not know that. I think it also led to films like Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Mm. Uh, just, just a bunch of them. So the the samurai film for Japan was the spaghetti Western for the United States is, is pretty much how it comes down to it. But I personally didn't play in the Kurosawa mode, I think because it was black and white. And for me, it's, it was like, this world is so colorful and beautiful and great. I don't want to lose a second of it. Mm, agreed. And, and that's not, that's not a discredit to, to the mode. I know that it's, it's there as an homage to Kurosawa and the people that love those types of films. And I'm sure that people have played it. And if you did play it that way and you really liked it, you know, tell us about it. We'd love to hear about it. But yeah, I personally didn't, but there were still those hints of those types of films and that those types of samurai stories throughout the game. And the most prominent example for me 
when I think about Yojimbo, which was kind of like this wandering samurai trope, and he's going from place to place, and he's uh, the people in these villages have a problem, and only he can solve it. And you'll notice if you're kind of wandering around Tsushima as Jin, you'll wander into this into this town or this farmstead, and somebody has a problem, and the only person that can solve it is Jin. And it's you know it takes you on this like fun little side quest. You do the thing. The people are grateful. You get a charm or you get supplies or something or other. And then you're on your merry way. And it's it's really, it took me a while before I realized that, but it sort of made me smile. Like, oh, here we go. Like, he does the thing. He gets on his horse and he rides off into the distance like a true wandering samurai. So I actually really like that element. Yeah, if you like Kurosawa films, definitely try out that mode. I would, I would definitely recommend it. And going back to the whole ode to Yojimbo, I think they did an ode to Seven Samurai as well, because in the story, you're actually trying to form a team like in Seven Samurai. Yeah. A solo samurai trying to look for allies that will help you to complete your mission. And that's essentially what Seven Samurai did or in the movie Seven Samurai and kind of what is happening in Ooh. Ghost of Tsushima. You're Jin Sakai. You're looking for allies, anyone yeah. that is willing to lend you a hand, regardless of who they are in their past life and sacrifice for the greater good technically uh, to save Japan and their, their home. Yeah. That's, that's actually a really good point. And I, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. I, I, I really need to watch seven samurai now. Yeah. Really cool movie. It's been on my list forever, but I think, I think that I really need to now. And we will absolutely talk about these different characters. I'm glad you brought them up because I think that they're so critical to the story. And I think in, in, to talk about them, we would then shift into, you know, what we felt were the biggest themes of this game. I would venture to say, and please correct me if you feel that I'm wrong, but that the biggest theme would have to be honor, honor slash pride. From the minute that you start this game, from the minute you're looking down on the those Mongol ships sailing in, Lord Shimura Jinsekai's uncle and your father figure is pretty much pelting this idea into you that like we're fucked but we're gonna go down there and fight and we're gonna die with honor because that's what we do because that is what a samurai is and you know this idea of bushido and the the samurai code and this is how we live this is how we fight this is how we die mm -hmm. and there's there's no there's no argument to that and when the game starts Jin is just without question following lord shimura and just like yep you're right uncle like let's let's do it we're gonna ride down onto the beach and that pivotal moment of watching every single samurai that you've rode in with get systematically slaughtered without question just changes his perception. He realizes that this idea of honor above all else is not going to save Tsushima. It's not going to save him. It's not going to save his uncle. And then I think the most pivotal display of this theme for me is when Shimura and Jin, it's in act towards the end of act two, when they're about to retake his castle and Shimura is not happy with the way that Jin has, you know, utilized these, these sort of quote unquote assassin tactics, you know, striking from the shadows, killing an opponent when they, you know, behind their back, you know, whatever else. And he, you know, calls him out and says like, you're acting without honor. And Jin responds to him and says, honor died on the beach. And that was such a powerful line to me because it just tells you so much about what he saw because that it was the visual, literal representation of honor rode onto that beach and died. Yeah. And it was like, for what? Like, yes, the odds were completely stacked against them, much like they were in this next moment where Jin is basically seeing the same thing. The odds are stacked against us. If we charge into it the way that we charged in at the beach, you're going to have the same results. And for, for what? Like, what do you get out of that? And it's so all-encompassing to me. I, I really love that line. Yeah, you really see Jin's breaking point, or maybe it's not breaking point, but the, the light that lit the fuse uh, in that first 10 minutes of the game. And kind right. of cool, because just like in Naughty Dog's Last of Us Part 1, the first 10 minutes just grasp you and pull you in. So in yes. Ghost of Tsushima... Jin sees a general that is leading the samurai into battle, mm -hmm. challenging Koten Khan, who's the main antagonist, and he just throws a cup of oil onto the onto the samurai general and burns him alive. And you could just see the look on Jin's face, right? Like, what? Yeah, you know that was that was Lady Masako's husband. Ah. Did you know that? That's Lady Masako's husband. That was Lord Adachi. There we go. 
So there's the connection. Yeah. yeah. I didn't. I didn't put that two and two together. Well, now you know. Yeah. I mean, and that that also shows you what Koten Khan thinks of honor. It's he a hundred percent, and that was also what was so interesting about him. He clearly had studied the samurai. He knew about their code. He knew about the way that they fought, and he used that against them because he yeah. knew they weren't going to do anything different. It allowed him to not just crush them, yeah. but to humiliate them. Because it, it, they later say, like, you know, Lord Adachi died honorably. And I thought mm. about it. It's like, did he? Because he had some wine thrown on him, then was set on yeah. fire and had his head cut off. Like, it, it, it was absolutely the con was just, like, yeah, for, like for the spitting Mongols. in his face. And yeah. spitting in the face of those, of those samurai. For the, for the Mongols and for Koten Khan specifically, pride or honor gets in the way of uh, your success. Uh, yeah, of conquest. The, the Mongols' conquest. Exactly. And he clearly showed that on the beach, and he has no care in the world about honor, just yeah. winning. And it's whatever you need to do to win. And for him, the winners get to write history. Yeah. And he cares, and, and that's what's so interesting about him also, is he is obsessed. It's not just about claiming Japan. It is obsessed with this idea of being remembered. It's what am I going to do to step out of the shadow of my grandfather and my cousin who dominate this hemisphere. What am I going to do differently? This obsession with power. And it, it's like two sides of the extreme. You have Shimura, who is the manifestation of honor, like to a fault. And then you have Koten Khan, who is this manifestation of of pride. Honestly, that's a huge part of it. And greed and thirst for power. You know, both of them to pretty much meet a meet the same demise to some extent. I mean, we'll talk about their demises later on in the story. I know we're still talking about honor, but th I think that's what stood out the most to me about Koten Khan. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree that honor slash pride is definitely one of the main themes of Ghost. Um, and you, you also see it in the standoff combat, even though we're talking about gameplay and mechanics again. However... You, you have that choice of either right. going into the battle honorably and doing the insta-kills, right. uh, these standoffs, or you can just go guns blazing and you know yeah. you could shoot someone from afar right. and it would be considered dishonorable because you're doing an underhanded tactic, you're not facing your enemy eye to eye, which was really important to a samurai and the way they fought. Right. right. That's so interesting um, that you bring that up. Did you find yourself using standoffs regularly or were you more of a strike from the shadows kind of guy so i think i did a little bit of both but for the most part i did a lot of standoff combat Ooh. not for the sake of honor <laughs> or anything or with the story but because you can just one shot a really tough enemy um, and get it over with plus i was playing on the hardest difficulty at the mm -hmm. time and if you mess up on a single standoff, you're literally almost yeah. dead. You, you you get poked once and, well, reload yeah, the game. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. Let's try, let's try this again. <laughs> but I think another theme that we should definitely talk about, because I think was considered a really big main theme for Ghost, was just the overall revenge, yeah. vengeance. Yeah. That was clearly apparent. And again, just like The Last of Us Part Two, that was, that was a major theme as well. Mm -hmm. But here, it just felt more clear that probably the, if not the main theme across from Honor and yeah. Pride was revenge. Yeah. That was such a huge part of it. And honestly, for me, when I think about revenge in the story, I don't even think, Jin isn't even the first character that comes to mind for me. I, I think mostly about Lady Masako and, and Norio, True. who had these very interesting stories and their own internal conflicts that just really shine a light on that theme and they both encounter it in process and fight it in different ways yeah and just to clarify lady mosco and and the warrior monk norio they're two allies that Jin picks yes. up along the way yes lady mosco is the sole survivor of the adachi family then of course norio who <sighs> norio he reminded me of like a a, a big old buddhist teddy bear I, I so love innocent, it. so naive. so innocent until he wasn't yeah. <laughs> innocent until he wasn't. Was one more prominent for you than the other in terms of like 
terms yeah, of yeah displaying this theme yeah the theme of darkness is clearly apparent with i would say predominantly lady masako's storyline or side quest right. line she's just already in a mess the way it starts is you you find out that everybody has been murdered yeah. in their estate mm -hmm. and then you find out she's the sole survivor and what she's doing the reason why you can't find her body or no one knows where her body is because she's already on this mad hunt for vengeance and justice yeah. by her own sister <laughs> spoiler dun, dun. Alert. yeah <laughs> by yeah. her own sister so for me the darkness the whole revenge plot vengeance and my justice uh, mm -hmm. was extremely apparent with Lady Masako's storyline. Whereas Norio, like we said, naive, innocent, but you see him just gravitate towards yeah, the darkness. You really do. Especially the fact that when he finds his brother, finds him maimed without arms, without legs, and he sees his brother and speaks to his brother for the last time, thinking this whole time that you're playing the game that he, he's been dead since yeah, the get-go. That was a surprise for me. But yeah, you see him gravitating towards the darkness after that specific moment in the game, and he just goes downhill yeah. from there. As, to be honest, maybe, if not, most people would do the yeah. same. Uh, I certainly don't blame Norio for the route he took, but it's still, for me, I guess the, the best way to say it is I felt really sad. For him in a way that I hadn't felt about uh, Lady Masako or other characters in that game. And maybe it was because Norio sort of carried himself in this way of like, you know, like I said, he's, you know, this big old teddy bear and, you know, he, he cares about the people, he cares about Tsushima, he cares about, you know, saving his home. And then as soon as he sees what happens to his brother, he's just consumed. He's completely consumed and he knows it. Because after, you know, Jin finds him after he brutally murders his brother's killer, you just, you see the change in his face and in the way that he carries himself and it has destroyed him. He thinks that it gave him satisfaction, but it's written all over his face that it didn't. That it completely destroyed him. And I think that was what was hard for me because you're watching this character that you believe in. It's like, okay, this... The shining light amidst the darkness is Norio, but, you know, he's consumed just as easily as, as anyone else. And anybody can get consumed by it. It's, you know, it, mm -hmm, it spares yeah. no one. And I think that was what was so sad. Even in the first moment when Jin met Norio, the first few lines, he says that he's not about killing people. But if it's to protect and save others, then he'll do what he must. He will fight. Yeah. Then he'll, he'll, he'll fight. And then you just see him. In the entire quest line slowly going down this path mm -hmm. you just see him degrade into this person full of rage and hate and then the scene where he takes place like you said where he kills he finds and uh, murders his brother's killer right the whole scene is dark hellfire and brimstone right and even Jin, if not not slightly terrified but extremely disturbed right like how did, how did it get to that how did someone so pure so innocent so righteous come to this can, yeah yeah, go down this path. And there's there's no good answer. And I think that's what the game is trying to tell you. There's no good reason or answer or rhyme or reason or whatever you want to call it for going down the slippery slope. We're, none of us are, are immune to it. You know, this this sort of obsessive desire. Because I think we all think at the end of the day that you're, you're going to get peace and satisfaction from knowing you have achieved whatever it is you need to, to achieve against the person that wronged you. Right. And you even see that with the main character. Mm -hmm. You start off the game so full of hate for the Mongols, mm -hmm. kidnap your uncle who's Lord Shimura, and holding him hostage. The things that you hear Jin say in the dialogue, you can tell that he clearly wants to kill Koten Khan and destroy the Mongols yes. and do it as evilly as possible. <laughs> you could just feel the evil and the hate in Jin's, Jin's voice. But as the game progresses, you see him turning... I wouldn't say another to the, the other cheek, mm -hmm. but now he's changed his motive from revenge to ultimately I'm doing this not just to save my uncle and my family and my friends, mm -hmm. but I'm doing this to save the people of Japan because what the Mongols are doing is bar barbaric. Yeah, barbaric. And actually, thank you for, for mentioning the barbarism because I wanted to just kind of throw out there this this moment in the game that I think really just 
hits it on the head in terms of world building. So I was I was riding through the southeast part of the map. And it's funny because I don't even remember in particular where I was, but I know I had finished the main quest and I was I was just trying to open up the map. And I, I'm, I'm riding along, I'm kind of, I come through this um, ravine and I see two uh, Mongols on horseback. And I'm like, okay, fun. Like, I'm just going to shoot them off like they're horses because, mm-hmm. you know, archery in that game is, is fun. Two perfect headshots, boom, boom. And I'm thinking, look, if there's two, there's got to be more, right? So I, I ride, I ride closer and I don't see anyone else. And I ride up on this farmstead and this farmstead's coming up on my left. And as I ride up, I just sort of said out loud to myself, I just went, holy fuck. Because it, on this path leading up into the farmstead, which is on like this, this little knoll, are all of these burned, charred corpses on pikes. And lining the pathway up and then in the, like the crop, uh, crop fields is just where there should be crops are just bodies on pikes. And there's piles of charred bodies. And I, w- I was so stunned, I didn't even realize it, but I was ru- like, I had my thumb like barely like grazing the joystick so that my horse was going at like the slowest possible pace because I was just taking everything in. And I thought like, oh my God, like, holy crap. And my next thought is like, okay, there must be someone or something in this farm set because it just screams like, quest, 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 like ride in and get the quest. And I ride in thinking like there's either got to be some loot or there's more Mongols in here or there's somebody here that, you know, wants to give me their quest, you know, whatever you want. And there was nothing there. There were a couple of people in there that looked like they were, you know, trying to rebuild. And I tried talking to them. I couldn't talk to them. There was nothing in there. There was nothing to do at that farmstead. It's literally there just to show you. To remind you. Who the Mongols are and to remind you of what you're fighting for. And... I was so just like blown away by that scene that, and there was like a flash in my mind, like, I want to find the fuckers who did this. I want to, I want to put an arrow through all of their skulls, but you don't get that chance because that's, that's not the point of that farm set. It's just a, a, a consistent reminder. Like, remember what you're fighting for and you could ride through any part of that map and you could easily stumble across mm-hmm. just a body of some farmer and there's nothing on it. There's nothing to gain from it. It's just a reminder. And I thought that that was a really cool uh, addition to the game. Yeah. And to go along with the farmstead and the side quests, or just even areas of the of the game and the environment, I don't know if you noticed this, though, but did you notice every time you are about to do a mission on the map that the sky is just dark? Yeah. And then once you complete, <laughs> and it goes with the whole darkness, and then once you complete and beat that mission, the sky is blue or it's just less gray or maybe, you know, less rainy. It's a little bit more yeah. calm before the yeah. storm type thing. And I really appreciated that too. Again, it just yeah. keeps you stuck in the environment. Are you playing as a player because you want revenge or are you playing it to save the people? Yeah, it's it's additional world building and it's it's done so well. And I've, I've commented on the way this has been done successfully in The Last of Us. But this was this was kind of other level. And you know that you have good world building when it's not a required quest. It's not even a required location. You could 100% miss that location mm-hmm. if you're not really looking for it. If you're just in it for the main story and, you know, nothing against you if you're just in this to to play the story and do your thing. And you don't you're, you're not like a completionist like I know you are. <laughs> so and I think that's what makes it so great. It's because you could totally miss have missed this place. If you weren't looking for it, if you weren't just riding around, like taking in this world, it's so people spent like the developers took their time to create this place, to create this, this farmstead, however long it took them knowing this could be missed by half the players in this game, but we're still going to put it here because we want the players who do find it to, to know the stakes, to be reminded of the stakes and what they're fighting for and what the, the Mongols are capable of. And that's really effective world building, and that's really exceptional game development. Yeah. And with the world building and all these uh, and these two main themes of honor and darkness, I think 
the whole theme of family and home come into play because yeah. we're feeding into the environment and how that's helping convey the story here. Mm -hmm. And there was a few side missions that I think hit us in the fields, other than the main one of Uncle Shimura. And there were there were more than a couple I think that that hit me in the fields. So one of the ones that that comes to mind immediately for me is the story of of Yuriko, his uh, Jin's caretaker. For some additional context, Jin is the last surviving member of uh, Clan Sakai. And after his father dies when he's a teenager and he's taken in by his uncle. So Yuriko is the woman who is basically taking care of the Sakai estate while while Jin is is off with his uncle learning to be a samurai. Mm -hmm. And it's it's clear, she like in addition to being the caretaker of their estate, she... She was also his personal caretaker, his nanny, maybe, because, you know, he's always speaking very fondly of her. And there's a, a short side, it's, it's no more than like two or three side quests, I think, uh, that you spend with Yuriko. And you're sort of learning her history and such. And I had a lot of feelings about this quest line, by the way. Yeah, I know you did. Um, and I, I had some feelings about the quest line as well. But the story itself for me wasn't really the takeaway. It was... Um, the fact that it's it's revealed relatively early on in the in this series of quests that um, she has some form of dementia or Alzheimer's, which I had not until that point seen addressed in a game or really taken up in a game. As someone who experienced that, my my grandmother passed from Alzheimer's uh, back in 2007, and most of my memories of that I have of her were after she was she was sick she battled alzheimer's for like 10 15 years it was it was a long time and it's interesting to see how it's difficult for jin when he's sort of realizing that she's not she's not fully uh coherent because she's having trouble differentiating jin from his father and she's sort of losing track of time mm. she can't remember things and you're seeing it sort of in like small bits and then it, it steadily evolves and so the story itself, I didn't care much for. Um, mm. It's like, oh, this revelation that, you know, she was having an affair with Jin's father. It's like that. I didn't really care so much about that. I really cared about this display of dementia because it, I think that it's one of those things that we don't really talk about in games. Really anywhere. Everybody sort of deals with it differently. Yeah, and I mean, usually people... Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say we're, we're seeing leaps and bounds made in inclusion and becoming more politically correct in games like in the last of us two or just the last of Us series you know the inclusion of lgbtq right but we never really see a game that touches home on mental illness or just yeah. or old age or old age because that's really what this is is old age and especially at that time you know people didn't live to old age you know so yuriko is is a fucking dinosaur by that point in the game, you like it's it's easy to assume she's got to be at least in her seventies. That was old for the time. That was twelve seventy four. She was a she was a dinosaur, yeah. and uh, I did feel that that element was done with love, and was done with the knowledge of probably know, something personal. Someone yeah, in the, on the dev team. Yeah, if there's a personal touch, yeah, someone on the dev team ha has been through it, and I think you know, lots of people have. I'm sure we're all exposed in one way or another but i wanted to just sort of call that out as you know to tip my cap to them to to have touched on that going back to yuriko amazing thing that yuriko does is teaching Jin how to make poison for to aid him in battle which leads us up to another theme i think was really prevalent is the consequence of choice yes especially with the poison oh, because yes. the poison is a really big turning point for a key scene or a key moment in the video game yeah the consequences are, it seems like the, it's this snowball of events that sort of culminates in these consequences. And it's not to say that Jin isn't aware of the consequences, like when he, you know, starts to become the ghost. But I think it's one of those, like, you know, push it to the back burner and just do what you need to do and, you know, shoot first, ask questions later sort of mentality that hits the breaking point when... Uh, he poisons the Mongols. Yeah, so what's that's the end of Act Two, I believe. Correct. The yes. end of Act Two, where Jin, from what he learned, 
from Lady Yuriko, the poison weapons, and he basically go to Castle Shimura to take it back from the Mongol. Mm -hmm. And Jin sneakily breaks through the lines in the dead of night to poison mm. the Mongols in mass so less soldiers would perish in, in this battle. So obviously this was a big strike to his honor and mm -hmm. to Lord Shimra doing these type of tactics, poisoning Mongols or just poisoning your enemy and mm -hmm. sneaking uh, is not honorable. So right. he took extreme or great offense. Yeah. Yeah, no, he did. And it's sad, but at the same time, the most interesting thing about that idea of consequence, you know, and Jin making this choice and knowing that by poisoning the Mongols and going and directly defying his uncle, he's he's going to lose a lot. Like there's he he knows there's no way around that, and he still chooses to do it because it's the the benefits outweigh the the pros outweigh the cons, and he he has no regrets. That's the most impactful part. He's aware of the consequences. Which is different from other games because that's not always apparent. Characters often just, you know, go into these moments, guns a-blazing, kind of like Joel with, with shooting the doctor and taking Ellie. It's like, just do the thing that gets me the thing that I need and fuck the consequences. Mm -hmm. But Jin knows that by doing this, he knows he's thought it through. If I do this, everything that encompasses who I am as a samurai and as a man of Tsushima and as, as a member of Clan Sakai mm -hmm. is at risk. And I will have to answer to that in some capacity. And he does it anyway. So I think that this was a really interesting interpretation of the consequence of choice because most of the time when we're talking about consequences, we're talking about a character reacting to the negative consequences and, you know, their own negative reactions to the negative consequence. But that doesn't really happen with Jin. The, he, he knows already that there's going to be negative consequences and he does it anyway. And he rolls with the punches. Because we know what happens. He loses everything. He does lose everything. But as a player, you're also hoping maybe there's going to be a oh, plot twist. Uncle Shimura and the samurai. Oh, great job. You saved thousands of lives yeah. for doing this. Even though it was against our code pat on the back it's okay all is forgiven water yeah. under the bridge but it yeah. isn't because you even see after that there is this big conflict and where there's a conversation between him and his uncle mm -hmm. and his uncle slaps him for his insolence for yeah for disobeying his orders because he even tells his uncle before he sneaks away like he tells him hey i can do this quickly and quietly less yeah. lives will be lost and nobody, nobody on our side has to die. And but the great, the great irony of that of that scene is when he goes to Jin and he says, like, you know, we can we can handle this. We can work around this. Let's just blame it on on Yuna. Let's just blame it on your your lady thief friend. And you're good. We we just got to tell the Shogun like she acted against you, and and you know we punished her, and we're good. It's golden. He was willing to do the most dishonorable thing imaginable by lying mm -hmm. and having someone else killed and, you know, committing a great act of deceit against, you know, the, the leader of Japan just to save Jin's ass. Which, and that's an irony because he was still, he, he was also willing to go against his code to save someone he cared about. Yeah, extremely contradictory. It's he's extremely he's it's very hypocritical. And I didn't really realize that until later, but it was just like, damn, like you you talk so much about honor, but you were willing to do the most dishonorable thing. Yeah. To preserve honor. And like where's the honor in that? Yeah, and and after all of this transpires, we see him in cuffs basically cuz he's thrown in a cell. He's arrested for his yep. For performing these underhanded tactics, dishonorable style of combat, and for sticking up for Yuna, which is a main character opposite of Jin, mm -hmm. who helps him become the ghost and is considered a thief mm -hmm. and stands up for her and helps, you know, allows her right. to escape because they were going to blame right. it on her. Again, he chooses, he knows the consequences. He could have easily become the true heir son of shimura and everything's all hunky dory rainbows and yeah rainbows and butterflies but he chooses to stick up for her because without her help 
they would have never gotten this far. They would have never rescued exactly. his uncle exactly in the first act. So he already knows the consequences here and chooses to to dishonor the samurai code. And you could easily say he would do it again. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Anything for the sake of honor. I feel like we could argue about that forever. Yeah. And with all these choices comes a next major theme that we saw was internal conflict. Yes. Obviously, after he got arrested and performing these types of ghost style combat or dishonorable style of combat, you see Jinx extremely conflicted. Yeah. When he performs like an assassination where he kills a Mongol from behind or an enemy from behind, flashbacks occur where he's being taught by Uncle Shimura at a young age how to become a noble and honorable samurai. Yes. And actually, it, it happens a few times. I think it's like the first handful of assassinations that you do take you to that flashback where mm-hmm. Jin kills his first assassin, an assassin that was trying to kill Lord Shimura. And Jin is obviously enraged and plans to just like brashly attack him. And Shimura says no. And he says, we're not like this man. If you're going to, if and when you're going to kill him, you look him in the eye with courage and respect. You will always kill with, with respect and, and honor and dignity. The act of killing is not just an act. It's something that samurai acknowledges. Like this is the biggest thing we can do to take someone's life. We will give that person a dignified death, which is to face them, to look them in the eye when you strike the killing blow. Yeah, what is that quote Lord Shimura says, right? When- he says, like, like when we take a man's life, we, we look him in the eye with courage and respect. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, exactly. And then says, only cowards strike from the shadows. Yes, yes, that's the one. Um, and it's so true. You just see this happening again and again, all these flashbacks. And you either see Jin regretting or mm-hmm. just apologizing every mm-hmm. time he performs one of these type of assassination yeah. moves on it. He doesn't energy. enjoy it. He's not happy about it. And there's there's never a point where he he loves being the ghost. He just knows this is he, this is who I am now. Done. It has to be done. And this is and, and the people rally behind him real quick. The people need something. It's survival. It's survival. He represents survival uh, at at whatever cost. Wow, we touched on so many themes, Professor. I think we could have touched more on maybe some other sub-themes or sub-tropes or tropes in general. But I think these are the main ones overall that encompass what Ghost of Tsushima had for me and hopefully you as well. Yeah, no, I I agree. And this was a dense conversation that we absolutely could have gone into, I think, like 600 more things. But alas. But alas. We've finally made it to the end of Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> so sad. And what's so interesting about the ending to me was you actually have a choice. Yes. Uh, which we'll dig into. But uh, you have a choice of where to go because it is open world. You get to choose which missions to do. It doesn't have to be in any specific order. But this was really interesting. You have a final battle with Lord Shimura. Choice there is... Well, if you beat him, if you're good enough. If you're good enough. But you have the choice to either kill him or spare him. You do. That was a huge surprise to me when we we came to that point. Up until you strike that uh, final blow, I thought, like, oh, okay, like, we're going to kill him. Like, he's dead. dead. That's that's the end. That's how this game ends. And then when it gives you the choice, I was actually kind of mad at first. Because I was like, the Hmm. fuck? Like, all up until this point, I have no choice aside from occasional conversations where you can choose one of two things to say that ultimately don't affect the story at all. And then you come across this very, very critical choice (laughs) where you you have defeated him in battle and you have the choice of either killing him uh, or sparing him. And... After you strike that blow and he's on the ground, he says, uh, honor me with a warrior's death. And then it, it, it gives you that choice. And I was just like, fuck. But I need to make this decision and I need to make it as Jin. Like, what is the decision Jin would make? And I honestly sat there for probably 10 minutes or more weighing the choices. 
it was just clear I needed to go with my gut. My gut was going to be whatever mm. Jin would have done it was was my logic. So I settled on this. This knowledge that Shimura was a man of honor. That was that was his entire code and way of life. And it seemed to me in that moment, not knowing what the outcome of letting him live would look like, having no knowledge of, of either scenario, the best thing was to kill him and to honor his wish to die a warrior's death. Because mm. one, he asked me to. And two it would spare him the wrath of the Shogun for his failure because it's hugely dishonorable to be defeated. In, like the, the Shogun gave him an order and he he basically failed at what the Shogun ordered him to do. So there's no telling what the Shogun is going to do or say when he finds out that uh, Shimura failed. And this could ultimately lead to even greater dishonor for him. And I didn't want that for him because I still cared for him as a character and he clearly still cared about me. It just seemed that as a character, this is what Shimura wanted the most. And as a samurai, mm. that's that's the dream of a samurai, to die the warrior's death. And even though Jin had sacrificed the code and had given up that idea of honor, he wasn't going to force Lord Shimura to sacrifice it with him. So mm. that informed my choice. Although I will say that ending bit of him clutching onto Shimura's body after he stabs him, that hit me so hard in the feels that whole, that whole sequence where, um, you know, he, he like kneels down with him with the blade and like they're, they're embracing each other. And he says, he says, thank you to him and says, you know, find me in the next life. And he still says, I love you. Like you're my son. He has no ill will whatsoever about the fact that, that his beloved son is about to kill him. Like for him, he's giving him what he wanted. But like that, that sort of scream, that howl that Jin emits after he kills him, it it, it got me. I was like, oof! Like I, I stepped back mm. at like I choked yeah. up. It was it was really powerful. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting that you chose to kill him. I agree with your points; that they're extremely valid. He, he did ask for it. He mm -hmm. did say thank you. He did. <laughs> you know, you never. If someone asked for yeah, something, exactly. you should oblige. You know, as politely as possible. That's nice. On the other hand, I actually chose to spare Uncle Shimura. But before I get into my reasoning why, I just want to shout out Sucker Punch for that scene. That whole scene leading up to the duel, the 1v1 duel with your yes. uncle. Absolutely beautiful. The music was perfect. There was, I think it was like a red and white yin-yang formed with the leaves of the trees. Mm -hmm. Jin standing in the, in the white leaves and his uncle standing in the red leaves. And I thought that was mm -hmm. also a nod to the theme of darkness, but moving towards the light where yep. it's almost like he was redeemed. Yep. So yeah, clearly beautiful. It was. But as to why I chose to spare him, a little bit on the different side, I didn't get to that kind of take. Uh, I didn't see it that way because I, I didn't want to look that far ahead into that kind of like future mm. it was more so at what's going on in the now what happened what transpired in the last i don't know how many days or weeks but to me it mm -hmm. clearly felt like both didn't want this outcome you could see it in right. their face and how they're talking to each other like they don't right. want this to happen they don't want to fight but of course mm -hmm. lord shimura being you know slave to honor and obviously absolute has, has to follow the orders of the shogunate you know i mean at, at least he did and just some of the things that they were saying during the battle itself, just to me, clearly, uh, for me, it didn't seem that uh, Uncle Shimura wanted to be killed. Hmm. He's already seeing it as a punishment for having to do this, having to mm -hmm. find and execute his son. Right. One of the phrases that kind of caught me off guard during the, the heated battle or the duel where Lord Shimura says, the wounds you dealt my spirit will never heal. Mm, yeah. He is clearly just just disappointed with how things turned out mm -hmm. but not disappointed he's distraught yeah he, he's distraught he doesn't know what to do and because for me it felt like he didn't know what to do he also didn't want to kill Jin. but however Jin, for some reason saw it as a revenge for dishonoring the samurai code and overall i think the reason why i chose to spare uncle shimura was that Jin himself has already lost more than enough and his whole battle right. from act one to act three changed from revenge and darkness and vengeance to just saving the people and just changing his motives like we talked about earlier so right. 
Jin already losing enough, already losing so much to the Mongols. Why should he have to take the life of someone who he considers his father, his own family, you know, another person gone from his life when he's now changing to this to this motive of I need to save everyone I can. I don't care how I do it. It's almost like chaotic mm -hmm. good. Yeah, that's a good call. But yeah, kind of sad because like even if you do spare or when you choose to spare Uncle Shimura, uh, he even warns Jin saying you'll be hunted for the rest of your days. And mm -hmm. the last words coming from Jin, he just looks him dead in the face, kind of like with a sad, somber, it's almost like a smile or a grin, but just more of a, yeah, uh, you know, just looking like, I understand. And he just says two words of them and that's it. He just says, I know. Mm -hmm. And he bows to him for a good period of time. And you can see the, the shock in his uncle's face knowing that it almost yeah. felt like Lord Shimra under, finally understood why he chose the way of the ghost. And then you see Jin pick mm -hmm. himself up, putting the mask yeah. of the ghost on and walking away. It's a very beautiful, poignant scene. And interestingly, I uh, watched a clip of an interview with, uh, with the director about that ending choice. And the, the interviewer asked, what do you think is the true ending? And he said that he felt that the true ending was sparing Shimura, but he, as the player, chose to kill Shimura because he felt that in terms of where honor goes, he felt like that was the right decision. But in the overarching story, sparing him is the right decision. It's interesting. I, I don't necessarily think that there's a wrong or right way to do it. No. There's satisfaction to be found in both choices. Well, thank you all for listening, whoever out there is listening. That was quite the conversation, was it not, my dear TA? Indeed, dearest professor. I thoroughly enjoyed discussing the ghost of Super Nintendo. Oh, I do agree that the ghost of Takoyaki is <laughs> um, a wonderful game, one of my favorites. Spirited discussion. We are very interested to hear your thoughts as well. So please scream at us. Did you agree with us? Did you disagree with us? We want to hear it all. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. But we are extremely looking forward to discussing the next game for our next recorded podcast session, which will be the hotly and mostly debated game of 2020 thus far, The Last of Us Part 2. The Last of Us Part 2. I am super excited for this for a couple of reasons. I know you and I both have our hot takes about it, and mm. everyone is just probably sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear them. But <laughs> I actually had a lot of friends, former students, that messaged me when the game came out or was coming out and said that they were waiting for me to play it and give my expert opinion before they played it. Just because even leading up to its launch, like we're all aware of the, the leaks and everything that happened, there was so much controversy and animosity towards the game that people were like, we want your educated opinion before we touch this. So in addition to boosting my ego to an ungodly level, it helped with my self-esteem a little bit. So um, yeah, really, really excited about this. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Does that mean I finally get a raise? I don't pay you. Enough. You don't pay me enough. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Extremely <laughs> hotly debated. Main characters, Ellie and Abby. Gosh, that one is going to be fun to unload and unwind on. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to say it right now. I was a fan of that game. Uh, so yeah. many haters. A lot of review bombing. Yeah. I thought that was distasteful and... I agree. Not right for the Last of Us community to do that. I agree. Just because the opinions of the director and, you know, the vision that he took the game in, I think they should still be respected. You don't have to like the game, but you don't have to diss the game in a manner and diss the people that voice acted, you know, the characters, etc. So Yeah, and put so much heart and soul into it. Yeah, and I think that's probably going to be the foundation of the discussion is, you know, you can... You can hate the game. You can hate the way that the story went. And we definitely have our opinions on the story. That's no question. Mm -hmm. But give the creators, the developers, the actors, give them a break. 
especially Give the, stuff. the credit. Yeah. But uh, how did you feel about Last of Us 2? We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you have questions, please ask us. We will answer them on our podcast. Uh, you can reach us at on our Instagram and Twitter at Afterglowies. You can also email us at Afterglowies at gmail.com. Yeah. And special announcement. Surprise. We started a Twitch channel. We did. So that's... Yeah, it's twitch.tv slash afterglowers. So stay tuned. We'll be hosting a live podcast with people from or in the industry, friends as well. Former students. Yeah, former students of the professors and overall just lovers of video games. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this too. We want to involve our uh, beloved fans. I know a lot of you out there are always excited to hear from us. So this will be a great way to to get everyone involved and, and listening together and just hearing us shoot the shit back and forth for however long uh, we are allowed to do so before we get permabanned or permadeath or whatever they do to terrible Twitch folks these days. All right, well. <laughs> Farewell, everyone. I will remember you all in therapy. Cool. I'll pick you up from the shrink. Ayo. And remember, don't forget to play Ghost of Super Soaker. Get out. <laughs>